We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to feel, fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which translated is, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and his name was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All this took place to fulfill was what was spoken through the prophet. <laughs> How many of you were here last night? Raise your hand. Is that not a blessing? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was greatly blessed by that. Um, had an opportunity to be a part of a lot of that. And, and one of the big reasons um, why we decided to do that, which is very different than anything that we've done in a very long time, is because we wanted to have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with maybe some people who have not necessarily heard it. And it was really fun, especially during um, our four o'clock uh, program, to just see so many people that I know were probably here visiting or whatever, just praying that it would happen. So a lot of people have actually said, I should do the entire service like this. And when I came home, had dress rehearsal a lot last week, I came home, uh, to my wife, and uh, got to got to she got to see me in my makeup, which was just rather stark. And Andrea, Andrea said to me, "No, you need to wash your face now. Like, I mean, I'm I'm willing I'm willing to grow old with you, but not now, not today, not today. So uh, I don't want this to be a distraction. So I'm not the prophet this morning, um, but it is a pleasure to to be with you this morning and to celebrate Christmas with you." To be able to say, Merry Christmas, and mean it. To recognize that there actually is something profound and important with Christmas. And why? If you've been paying attention to this entire series, which has probably been, I think, my favorite Christmas series I've ever been a part of. And the reason why is not that it's the most recent, because I know that I can say, I think this is my favorite, and I do have lots of favorites, but... No, this one actually has something in it that has been so special for me, maybe because I needed to be reminded that as much as I value hope, 
and need hope, and you do too. Desperate for hope, looking at struggles and difficulties and darkness and obstacles and just believing, I just need to believe that there's going to be something better on the other side. And then all of a sudden, what you find out is like the circumstances aren't necessarily changing, and you just wonder, so where is my hope? Where is my hope? And and you almost want to give up. Stop believing. And, And what we learned was this. Morgan taught us that actually hope has a name. So we don't put our hope in anything other than Jesus. And the same is true for peace. We're just looking for something to calm our anxiety. Something to help us make it through the day where we're just not in this reptilian response, just fight or flight. No. There's something that, that rides above and that sustains us through our difficulties. And, and what we learned is, is that the Bible teaches that peace comes from God. And that peace has a name, and his name is Jesus. The angel said, I I come, and here I want you to know that, that there is peace. His name is the Prince of Peace. And and that helped me. Because so often what I'm looking for is a peace that can come from circumstances or relationships. And and then this is the part that I thought's been very interesting for me to work through this Christmas is that it kind of does sometimes. It does. I think that's one of the most important and and mildly, even though it's probably unintended, deceitful things, is that we can feel peace. I remember as a young child with a lot of difficulties my family went through, finding a tremendous amount of peace in the presence of my father particularly. And that was a good thing. And then when I began to find out there were things dad couldn't fix, problems that were beyond his control, now where do you go? And we know where to go, don't we? Peace is a name, and his name is Jesus. And the same thing is true for joy and happiness. I had a wonderful conversation just this past week with with somebody that was just describing I don't know if I get as excited about God as I do other things. It was, it was a confessional statement. Like truly, I, I can honestly be more happy when I think about my marriage or I think about my relationship with my children. And in a moment of honesty, we say, and, and even when OSU wins, like there's just some real excitement and joy. Let's be honest, right? And, and, and do you come to church like that every Sunday? And then you wonder, what's wrong and part of it is, if I can just speak for me, part of it is I need to grow up. And I need to learn to find joy and happiness. Thank you, Ryan. Joy and happiness in God and in him. So, yes, some changes need to be made. I need to recognize that what God provides is so much deeper and it is so much richer and eternal Joy actually has a name. And then last week, Drew, thank you. 
That, that love actually has a name. And, and by the way, I just want you to know we're starting a new series. Next week we'll be doing more of like a, a let's, let's, let's look at the vision of, of Sunnybrook and let's really kind of be uh, intentional about what 2023 is going to be about. But then we're starting a series which will lead us up through um, uh, the, kind of the Valentine's Day area where we're going to be talking about love. And what the Bible actually teaches about love and trying to shed, trying to remove, and then trying to add into our understanding and our way that we live and the way that we relate to one another from a biblical perspective, what is love? And, and we learned that one of the reasons why we can celebrate at Christmas is because love comes to us and it actually has a name. And it's not just it is, but it's not just an emotion. It's more than that. So yes, there's emotional responses, but, but love is, love comes from God. And so when we're looking for these things, what, what the Bible teaches us is if you really want to have them, and I believe we do, I believe there is like a universal Desire for the, the attributes that we celebrate in Advent, hope and peace and joy and love, the Bible just keeps pointing us back to God, pointing us back to God, pointing us back to God. Don't get wrapped up in these things. Do, do you guys, how many of you, let's be honest, I want, this is an honest moment, okay? Uh, and by the way, like, we're the most faithful there is. I think that Drew's very, very right, right? It's Christmas Day and we're here, so yeah. So we can be really, really honest. How many of you, when you're looking at some website and it says the top 10 whatever, and, and it gives you a list of top 10 or top 25, how many of you click it to see what they are? And you guys, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm one of those guys, I click it. I saw one the other day and it, would ha- it had the most religious, like famous people, most religious movie stars. And it was interesting to see them. And they weren't all necessarily Christians. One of them wasn't. And, and one of the ones that, that I, I wanted to hear how it described him, because I knew he was not a believer. He grew up in a, kind of in a, in a Christian family, but, but he, um, it's Richard Gere. Do you remember Richard Gere? Richard Gere, you know who he is? Um, he talked about how amazing his experience was with the Dalai Lama. And how just being in his presence brought him, and the word that he used was just peace. And I used to go, that's not true. Oh, he doesn't get it. Now, literally, I don't think he gets it, but I do believe he felt something. He experienced something. And therefore, this Christmas, may we take to God, bring to God, all of these desires that we have. They're uniform desires. They're universal desires. And then say, but... But Lord, like the reality of you and the truth about you, help me to never be satisfied with my circumstances, in my relationships, with even what I believe about things. But may they find their meaning and their purpose in you. And in that setting, can I say, like, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's not just a Merry Christmas. It, it points to something that is deeper and it is richer. 
Now, one of the favorite things that I, I love to teach, and I still remember learning this many, many, many years ago, and I, I, I wish I could, I wish the Lord would just tell me, because I, I, there's no way I could count how many times I have shared this information. I, I would even argue that the vast majority of us know this because here on staff, we just, we love to teach this over and over and over again, because as we're sitting here and talking about names, the one that we're here to celebrate is who? Jesus. We all know that, right? He's the one. Jesus. But when we talk about Jesus, the majority of us talk about Jesus Christ, like Jim Johnson, right? Drew Moss, Morgan Weiss, Jesus Christ. No, that's not how it works. Therefore, if if I can just educate you, just for those of you that might not know, Christ is not his last name. It wasn't Joseph Christ and Mary Christ. And hi, this is our son, Jesus Christ. More and more, I I like using just the word the in between those two names. Jesus the Christ. And and the reason why is because of this. Christ actually means Messiah. Christ comes from the, the word Christos in the Greek, Christos. And if we were to use another language, that's why I love those translations that will occasionally, the one that we use here, the CSB, does this occasionally, instead of it talking about Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ, it will say Jesus the Messiah. That's not a different Greek word. It's usually the exact same word, Christos. But Messiah, because when we hear that, right, I don't know about, how many of you love the word Messiah? Like I really, I get into it, right? It's part of my my desire to be Jewish. Um, uh, but, But literally just for their heritage, which... Paul tells me that I already have that heritage, so maybe I need to get over it. But anyway, it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful term, Messiah, and it's the same as Christ. Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And for those of you, how many of you are English speaking? Raise your hand. Okay, so for the vast majority of us, if we want to do it in English, Christ, which means Messiah, there we are. Okay, that's weird. There we go. Christ, Messiah, and then it's anointed one. If you wanted to know what it is in English, if we decided to not transliterate the word Christ, if we decided to not translate the word and put it into, um, into, into Hebrew, Messiah, but no, we really want to do it in a way where we do it into English, it would be anointed one. And by the way, that matters because who do you anoint? Kings. I want you to know that Jesus is the Christ. And if you don't translate that properly, like he's the promised Messiah. That is why Isaiah the prophet says, I want you to know this is this wonderful promise that is to come. This is who he is. This is what he's going to do. And he is going to be your king. Christ, Messiah, anointed one, King, And so what you and I are able to joyfully celebrate this morning, holding all of this together, is that our Christ, our King, our Savior, our redemption has a name. I remember learning the idea of having what some people call a functional savior. A functional savior. 
What they mean by that is, is that like almost everybody, going back to these universal desires that we have for hope and peace and joy and love, that everyone is looking for something that is more, something that is better. And, and we look for a savior. We look for something to fix our circumstances. I really don't like being alone. And so if I could just find a savior to heal my loneliness... And so all of a sudden, like a friend, or a spouse, or children, or grandchildren, I wonder if what a lot of us are experiencing throughout time is just recognizing, like part of it's just a natural thing, right? You go from friends to spouse to children to grandchildren. Part of that is natural. I just wonder sometimes if what we're pursuing is this this recognition, oh, I want more. I just want more. And we kind of recognize the limits of our, our spouse or our children or even our grandchildren as functional saviors. And so we're looking for them. We're desperate for them. We, we look them, for them in our political world, right? All the passion and all the excitement every time there is an election and then all the frustration from half of the people when the election is over is why we're, just, we're looking for a savior, Someone that can rescue us. Someone that can help us. When, when we find that there are health problems, and, and I, I just can't sleep this one off. Our frustration when we go to a doctor and we're like, will you fix me? Will you heal me? And the answer is, I'll do, I'll do the best that I can. I don't need you to do the best that you can. I need you to heal me. We're looking for someone to rescue us. And Christmas presents, biblically speaking, particularly in Matthew and Luke's accounts, that the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the King, like, is here and he has a name. He has arrived and he actually has a name. What, what I love about that is it forces us with the specificity of what salvation and redemption is all about. Jesus doesn't just stand front and center and say, listen, like I'm just the best that you got. He is. But it's not just I am the best of what you got. It's, and this is why it's so critical that we understand who Jesus is to be, in fact, God with us. Is because when we look at Jesus, we see God and we see our creator. We see the one that we were made for, that we are even looking for, even though we don't know fully, even though we don't fully understand, God in his kindness breaks through and arrives. Our king has a name. Our salvation is found in him. Our rescue is found in him. Our wholeness is found in only in him. I would even argue that he's not just the best of a lot of options. If it really comes down to it, like he is the only option. Like God, in that sense, is really the only option because every other savior will be exposed for who they are, for their limits, 
for their inabilities, for their humanness. And Jesus, fully human, is yet so much more. So our Messiah actually has a name. And our text tells us what that name is. The name is Jesus. You know what that name means? It's connected to the, to the other name, Jew, Jewish name actually, Joshua. But Yeshua is Jesus. Yeshua was a very common name actually when, when Jesus entered into the world. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Pointing back, Jesus means Yahweh saves. And, and what you could almost add to that is Yahweh is the only one who can save. Like Yahweh is the only one that can rescue. That Yahweh is the only one, and if you think about it, Yahweh is the only one that can bring hope and peace and joy and love because those things are only truly found in our Creator. We need for there to be a restoration of the brokenness, a healing of the waywardness, and only God, and his name is Jesus, can bring those things together again and begin the healing process. And that is why when we say Merry Christmas, we are celebrating the fact that yet, in spite of the fact that we are are so broken and so limited and all our functional saviors have so let us down. Jesus is here. He's come. And he has provided the means of our forgiveness, of our restoration. And we find it in him because only Yahweh can save. It's such a beautiful name. Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, has come. Merry Christmas. And then our text actually tells us that there's another, another name that we use for him, and it is the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And we all know, I think we all know, kind of what that name means. And in the text, it says it very clearly. You will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins because his name means Yahweh saves. And we will also call him Emmanuel. Why? Because what we actually see in Jesus is God with us. The reminder that he has not abandoned us. So so last night in our our play, we, we, we introduced a lot of people throughout the Bible who were trying to come to terms with their own brokenness, and God used them in their own very unique ways. I, I just really loved how it just presented all these like heroes of the faith, all these people that I had um, uh, kind of, I always wondered what they looked like, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, some of you, actually, I think that's probably what they looked like. Um, but when I think about Moses, right, when I think about Moses, and you look at Moses, and then all of a sudden God appears in the bush, And God says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people and I am coming down now and I am going to rescue them. And all of of this promise, is that what you're talking about? That, That God kind of appears like that, like in a bush and so many of us long for some kind of manifestation of the presence of God. If only a burning bush would speak to me, then I could clearly know God's will for my life. 
If only somehow an angel like Gabriel would appear to me and help me understand what God desired. If only I could have that. And I'm telling you, Merry Christmas. We have been given so much more. Do you know that? We have been given in Jesus, God with us. That's why Jesus says to the disciples, they they said, will you show us the Father? And Jesus looks at them, and I've always wondered, what is his tone? Andrea says, I'm a master of tone. Um, Could could you tell me what that tone was? We need to talk afterwards. I'd love to know what Jesus' tone was in that statement. But he literally says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I can't tell if he's disappointed or if he's just patient. But he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So for those of us that are still looking for that burning bush moment or the angel appearing moment or even some kind of inner, uh, probably real, some kind of inner understanding, can I tell you that Jesus has come and God has dwelt with us and that is what we needed the most. Christ has a name and it is Jesus, it is Emmanuel, it is God with us. I I must confess to you that I am a very sentimental person, very sentimental. Um, One of the most difficult aspects that I have had growing older is the loss of so many things that I have absolutely loved. Um, I have loved my life. I'm very grateful for my family. I'm very grateful for how my family changed over the years, and yet it has always brought me great joy. I'm grateful for this family. I'm grateful for family that exists all around the world. I'm, I'm very grateful for all of these things. And when I think about family and I think about Christmas, some of my most important and very powerful moments happen around this time. Is that not true? So many of our most powerful moments happen in that Christmas moment. And I I remember when I was a child being very concerned that somehow everything was just slipping away, that things were changing. I'm, I'm, I'm the fifth of six children, and I've got four much older brothers and sisters. And so they all married um, when I was, by the time, I think my, my, uh, my, my closest sibling to me, my brother, who's almost seven years older than me, uh, he actually got married when I think I was like 12 years old or something like that, or 13 years old. And so I was very, very young. And so they started having children, and they started doing what families do when they have their own families, is what? Is not come around for Christmas. And I remember going, looking at my younger sister going, like, I like you and all. Um, I, I, I maybe, I, I really like you, but... It's not the same, is it? And she looked at me and she went, no, it's just not the same. Do you remember when everybody was here? Do you remember when everybody was here and we did this and we did that? And do you remember that moment when all of a sudden Christmas began to change? And you're going, I don't think I'm going to like this anymore. Why, why do they have to have Christmas by themselves with their own families? And I began to worry. I mean, just genuinely worry that where am I going to find? Because this is such a special moment. I was almost like a Morgan Weiss when I was younger. She loves Christmas. I was almost like that Morgan Weiss kind of person. So longing for and looking for that sentimentality in Christmas and it absolutely terrified me that it was slipping away. And there actually were a number of years in which Christmas just wasn't the same. 
But then Andrea and children, and it became incredible again. It just became, wow, this is even better than it was. If it was great being a kid at Christmas, I, I like this even more, and I love spoiling the kids, and I love the new, the new traditions that we create. Isn't this incredible? And, and I began to get really excited about Christmas again, and then all of a sudden, guess what happened? They got old. And I mean really old, like 18 and 19 and 20. And then guess what they did? They got married to really awesome women. <laughs> and then they decided to have family. And um, our, our kids looked at us, all of them looked at us this Christmas and said, yeah, we're, like, we're not coming home. And I'm like, well, you don't, you don't want to come home? Well, listen, it's not that we don't want to come home. We'd just rather be here. And I, I looked at them and I went, actually, I get it. Like, I get it. So now what do I do? Let me, let me tell you, Christmas is by its nature. I think God has designed it this way. He's designed us this way, not it. He's designed us this way. Christmas is intended to be sentimental. We are sentimental beings. We have loves and desires. We long for these memories that bring hope and peace and joy and love. I can look back and just be so grateful for what God did. And then as it began to change, what God did. And then as it began to change, and now what God is going to do. There is nothing wrong with the sentimentality of Christmas. I think it is important for us, like the Apostle Paul says, to give thanks to God in all things. God, I, I thank you for Christmas. Forgive us for when we get it wrong or we make too much of it or somehow we get trapped in our own feelings and our own thoughts and our own desires and we don't, we don't primarily see these things as a gift coming from you and purposes that come from you. So help us reorient our hearts and our minds, our, our hope and our peace and our joy and our love in a way in which we can perfectly respond to you. Like God, help us do that. But I, I pray that he never takes away or that you never lose the sentimentality of Christmas. But the reason why sentimental things have eternal value is because they're real. They're true. So not only is Christmas sentimental, I'm telling you, like Christmas is real. That's why it's more than just a feeling. It's more than just an emotive response. What happened when I was a child, and then as I hopefully remained as a child, but I grew up, and what my desire was, was very human. I'm, I'm longing for more. I'm longing and I'm desiring these things. And what I have discovered through God's word is that when I see in Christmas Jesus, I'm now able to look at my family, which has changed and will continue to do so. And I give thanks to all of them through Jesus through my king, through the one who came. And actually, when he came, he didn't just redeem me, but he is, in the fact, through the power of the Holy Spirit, restoring me. 
And now I don't need to be afraid anymore. I don't. I don't need to be afraid about change or about circumstances that I don't want. Because what I now realize, by the way, I'm not saying last night after the play, but I have been realizing is that my king has a name and he's come. And so the hope that you and I have is real. Merry Christmas. The peace that you and I have in Jesus is real. So Merry Christmas. The joy and the happiness that you and I have in Jesus is real. So Merry Christmas. The love that we have, the love that has been given to us is real. Merry Christmas. For our King has actually come. And his name is Jesus. And it's not that he makes all the difference in the world, which he does. But I want to keep it small this morning and then let him make it big. But he makes all the difference in your world. When you realize who he is and you give thanks for what he has done. So our king has come. What kind of king is he? When we think about kings, what's interesting is the vast majority of us think about kings who rule and reign. Many of the the pictures and the ideas, even in the Bible, are broken kings. Kings that want to sit on thrones and rule and reign. And Jesus does all of those things. But Jesus says this, For I have come to seek after and to save those which are lost. That's a different kind of king, isn't it? Jesus says, I have come. I'm I'm the son of man. Which is a very powerful image portraying and promising what the Messiah was going to look like. I am the son of man and I have come as king not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give my life, Jesus says is a ransom for many. Okay, that's a different kind of king. Not a lot of kings step down from their thrones and serve other people. And Jesus says, and I do this. Like I wash your feet as an example to you so that you might know how to treat and how to love one another. That's the kind of king that we serve. And Paul says that although Jesus, before Christmas, right, December 24th, Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be um, held on to selfishly, is really what the word means. But he, he, he gave it up. And he just kept giving it up. Until as our king, he died for us. Just look on the cross. The sign says it. 
king of the Jews. And they said, can you please change that and say that he claimed it? And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And that's the kind of king that he is. Is it possible for us to observe this meal and still say Merry Christmas? And the answer is yes. Merry, to find joy and happiness in the coming of Jesus? Yes. Why? Because you and I know why he came. This meal is what makes Christmas eternal. And the king took the bread and broke it, giving it to his disciples, and he said, and this is my body, which is now given for you. Take it and eat. And this is the blood, my blood, shed for you. For your redemption, let us take it and drink. We, we love using this idea when we come around this table. If I were to tell you, what does Christmas taste like? Chocolate? What does Christmas taste like? Turkey? Gravy? Ham? Potatoes? Cranberries? Really? Cranberries? You know what Christmas should always taste like? Bread and wine. In light of the fact that Jesus has come. And we know him. We truly know him. And he is real. May we stand and sing.